okay, right, your, your feet hurt. Okay, like, what, what can we do about that, mate? Like, <laughs> do you want to stop for a while? Do you want to turn back? Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan and I'm here with the ever-adventurous Adam. Yes, Alan, I think you're the adventurous one though, aren't you? We've been listening intently to all of your bits of goings-on over in the Himalayas. I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, those going-on bits. In the last episode, I'd embarked on a trek through the Himalayas and I'd just gone to EBC, Everest Base Camp, which is quite exciting, isn't it? Really exciting. I mean, it's kind of put up on a pedestal, isn't it, really? As this, like... um, Everest. (laughs) Yeah, it's already pretty high. Mm. But it's seen as like a a hiking mecca, if you will. To get to base camp or to get to the summit? Well, I don't know how accessible the summit is, really. Um, (laughs) Both both sort of logistically and also financially. Very expensive. Yeah, but I suppose the base camp is definitely on a pedestal as well. I'd met people who'd been to Everest base camp prior to coming to Nepal and, and had thought it very impressive. Yeah, although it is just a, as you as you said <laughs> quite openly, it's basically just a rock with Everest Base Camp written upon it. It is, yeah. I definitely think the impressive thing about getting to EBC isn't the rock, though. It's just the achievement of sort of getting to that point. So it's symbolic as well, I suppose. Definitely, yeah. And I put there. I don't think we mentioned this in the last episode. But I'll send you a video. I placed a little photograph, passport photo of myself on the EBC rock. And on the back it says, listen to Tropology Podcast to learn more. And I placed that underneath that boulder. So Wow, nice one. I like that. Hopefully a tropologist can one day find it. That would be impressive, wouldn't it? That's wicked. Is Everest Base Camp built up at all? Are there lots of, you know, is there sort of infrastructure there to some extent? Is it sort of developing into a town or is it just a point and then you either continue on or... Yeah, I was surprised by how scarce and empty it is. There's nothing there. There's no tents at this time of year. There's just, it's just a wide open rocky plain. Oh, it's flat, is it? No, not really. It's amongst glaciers and hilly, but it's just, you know, it's open in the sense that there's... <laughs> no buildings. Yeah, wow. I don't know. I think I've maybe seen some pictures that probably distorted my image of, of what it would have been like, but there's no, you know, tourist touts trying to get your business and, you know, trying to coax you away from the group you're with and, you know, I'll take you up to the summit for only 20,000 US dollars. Yeah, nothing like that at all. There's no, there was us and one other group of hikers at EBC when we finally arrived there. It was really scarce. Wow. Um, what sort of emotions were you feeling? Because where, I mean, that's sort of like almost halfway through your trip, right? Yeah. Proud, elated, ready to carry on, happy that that wasn't the end. Important to mention physically, though, we haven't heard much about how you're sort of looking after yourself. You're going through some sort of warm down routine after a day of walking? <laughs> really just trying to manage washing. Okay. Your clothes or your body or both? Well, we I washed my clothes twice during the whole trek, just a little quick rinse and then let them dry. Mostly just wearing the same base layer, the same pants over and over and over again. Washing itself is so cold that you really just have a quick... <laughs> Ladies rip. form an orderly queue. <laughs> yeah, you quickly wash yourself. It's a right nightmare, but... 
I mean, once once you do that, you're just getting in front of the fire and trying to warm up as best you can. So if you're, I'm just thinking about the sort of practicality and logistics of it. You're obviously in the mountains. It's pretty cold. What's the sort of temperature there at night? Minus 20. That is cold. That is cold. Um, you're washing something, so then it's wet. Mm. Are you drying that in front of a fire so that it's ready for the next day? Yeah, wringing it out as much as you can, drying it in front of the fire. And then occasionally you'll have to put it on the outside of your bag to dry as you're walking in the sun. Shit. Right. And I was going to ask you this as well last time, because you did a self-guided trek. Hmm. You didn't have anyone carrying anything no. for you the entire time. No, we all carried our own equipment. And I actually think... If you're able to carry your own equipment and choose not to, I mean, I've met people who would say, oh, they hired a porter to support the local economy, but I really think you should be carrying your own bags if you can. Yeah, I mean, maybe what the best thing to do, the admirable thing to do, would be to give the money to a porter for the amount that it would cost and then carry your own bag anyway. <laughs> if what you want to do is give money to the local economy... How about you just do both? Yeah, give them a pebble to carry up the mountain or something. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've certainly been on treks in the last few years where I've I've seen porters carrying an awesome amount of stuff, and you know sometimes they're in flip flops, especially in Southeast Asia. They're wearing like absolutely not the advised footwear for something like that, and they're carrying something that you you know is akin to something you might see on the back of a donkey on a mule, you know. And uh, I, I couldn't even carry it up the stairs, let alone a fucking mountain. I know. It's nuts to see the physical feats that some of these porters do. I mean, it's absolutely wild. And, you know, I've, I've also, when I was in Southeast Asia, I was climbing Mount Rinjani, Lombok. And unfortunately, so many people quit that hike so early on that we were left with no porters and just one guide. <laughs> but there was still a group of four or five of us. So not only did we have to carry all of our things, we were also carrying other people's things as well because we some of us were obviously in better shape than others and there were huge water bottles that we needed to carry for the next few days so we were actually carrying much more than than we were it was like not too dissimilar so what a porter would have been carrying and i remember at the time thinking fuck you know i should have booked a more expensive trip <laughs> <laughs> yeah man well do you know what? i'd love to to share the rest of my trip with you can we can we listen to some more voice recordings that i made whilst on this trek through the himalayas we'll start with day 10 where i'm just about to embark to kalapatar so so we start there and listen to some more tales from the himalayas love to mate let's do it day 11 okay so gorakshepri we got up at sunrise it's actually called kalapatar Basically, altitude sickness has hit the camp pretty hard. Lucas didn't want to come because he had a terrible headache. Uh, Emmy was struggling with a bit of a twisted ankle that she got, but decided to come anyway. We woke up at 4.30 and trudged out into the snow to hike Kalapatar. But we only got about halfway before a guide who was working with another group basically said... You guys should turn back around. The snow is too much. Um, you're not going to see anything because the snow, the weather is really bad. So we turned back around and then spent the rest of the day hiking to Zongla, which basically involved us leaving Gorikshep and backtracking, having lunch in Luboche and then going 
all the way to Zongla, which is the gateway to the Chola Pass, which we'll do tomorrow. Goodness me, Gorikshep, what an unusual place. We are feeling a little bit glad to have left. It was a, a very unusual little house that we stayed in, completely slanted. At one point, Lucas put some lip balm on the floor and it rolled rapidly to the other side of the room. So slanted was that living room. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And there was all sorts of tissues and sanitary pads underneath my bed. It was all a bit grotesque. And the toilet froze overnight. So Gorik Shep, very unusual. Zongla, though, this place seems really nice. There's a lovely Sherpa lady called Maya who runs this guest house. It's nice and warm. And we're going to get a packed lunch to take with us on the Chola Pass tomorrow. So that's going to be exciting. Looking forward to telling you all about our first pass tomorrow. Day 12, the day of the Chola Pass, the first pass of our trip. What an exciting day this was. We got up dead early, like 6.30 or something, had breakfast and trekked out to the Chola Pass. Quite a vertical little climb. But then you emerge onto this glacier and you have to put microspikes, crampons on and trudge all over this glacier. It was one of the most spectacular, beautiful walks that I've ever had the privilege of doing. Just the icy terrain all around you. It was so amazing. And yeah, it was a hard day, you know, hard to walk on a glacier, a lot of uphill. And we arrived in the evening at the town of Tagnag, which is a little peaceful kind of town. It was nice. We had a recommendation from Maya as to where to stay, so we found accommodation fairly easily. And yeah, we, we're having a pleasant day here so far. We arrived really early, actually. We thought the Chola Pass would take longer than it did, but we made record time over that glacier, and we're now warming ourselves by the hearth here in Tagnab. Um, every place we stay has like a fire basically in the middle of the common space. It's really nice. Everyone gathers round there in the evening and the fire, the fires are powered by dried yak feces. Um, but doesn't smell. It's really nice. Everyone gathers round and has a cozy old time. Tomorrow we're going to hike to Gokyo, which is supposed to be one of the absolute highlights of this three passes, two passes adventure. So really looking forward to that. Day 13 and we're heading to Gokyo today. It was an amazing journey uh, over another glacier, but this time not like the glacier like Chola Pass. It was a glacier that had been covered in rocks. So you hike over this glacier all covered with different sizes of stones and some are still falling from the surrounding mountains so it's quite a dangerous little walk rock falls happening all the time as you traverse over glacial peaks and little frozen lakes and all sorts towards the town of Gokyo quite a technical little two-hour walk we're still at high altitude we're over 5,000 meters and then you emerge at the town of Gokyo which is picturesque it's got this absolutely beautiful lake that's maybe the bluest lake i've ever seen it's absolutely amazing we stopped and had lunch in gokyo and got talking to two other trekkers who told us that basically we had to hike gokyo ri 
the little peak in Gokyo that evening because, you know, it was good weather and the next day would be bad weather. So it was our only opportunity. We planned on having a little bit of a rest, but instead we found ourselves doing this really challenging, basically two kilometers, but straight uphill elevation of 600 meters up to the top of this Gokyuri to see sunrise where you could, I mean, up until this point, Everest, we've not been able to see the true majesty of it. We've not been able to see how amazing that peak is, but this was the occasion where it really came into its own. I mean, screw base camp. This was the, if you want to see Everest, you've got to go to Gukyuri at sunset because obviously it's the last remaining peak that the sun sets onto. You can really tell it's the highest thing around. It was a really beautiful experience. And then we hiked back down to Gokyo and had dinner and basically now we're about to go to bed and tomorrow we're doing our second pass, Renjola. So I'll tell you all about that tomorrow. Day 14. My goodness, this might have been the most challenging day so far. Perhaps it was because we were already tired from hiking Gokyo Ri last night, but... Renjola, I mean, what an uphill climb, this mountain pass, very, very steep. We got up relatively early and basically, I mean, we started out, I think the lowest we were was like 4,700 meters and then the Renjola pass is like 5,400 meters or so. So it's a lot of elevation up and down. We were very, very tired. It was a crazy, crazy moment when you finally get to the top and realize that for the rest of the days, you'll be going pretty much all downhill. That's where we are now. That was the final push, the final mountain pass. And now I'll be heading down to Namche, down to Fakding, down to Dandadar and so on. So we've done all the hard work now. It's been an incredible trip. The hiking has been incredibly difficult. And now all that remains... It's a kind of peaceful journey to reflect on all the craziness that's happened. My body is capable of things that I really didn't know it was capable of. I, I mean, I feel like I've really pushed myself to the limits of, of what I can do in terms of hiking at altitude, cardiovascular performance. I'm so proud of Emmy and Lucas. I mean, we've all pushed ourselves to the absolute limits on these treks. Can you imagine, tropologists, how difficult it is sometimes to motivate yourself, regardless of the beauty of the surroundings, to go on a hike again in the morning after you've hiked the previous day and the previous day before that and the previous day before that. You still motivate yourself to get out of bed and hike for who knows how many kilometers, who knows how many hours through the Himalayas. I mean, it's been a wild journey. So I suppose I'll use the rest of these days as we hike slowly back down towards Kathmandu to reflect on all the things I've learned whilst I've been hiking. We finished the day today in a little hamlet called Lungden and we'll be going tomorrow to another little hamlet called Tame, which is not going to be too difficult of a walk, but there's a monastery in Tame that we'll likely go and visit and then, you know, onwards to Namche from there. So... Looking forward to talking to you all tomorrow. Day 15. Goodness me. Last night we were in London and that fire, that hearth, that yak feces powered flame that I was mentioning before started billowing smoke into the common area. So we all had to, well, I evacuated to the room, but you know, 
I think Emmy and Lucas just stayed there with it and got doused all in yak fumes. But it was quite uh, an exceptional experience. Goodness me, it took him hours to sort out. Got a good night's sleep in the end, though. And today we trekked down to the town of Tame, which is only a short way away. It was about a two-hour walk or so. Got to Tame, put our stuff in a beautiful little lodge tea house. And Lucas and I trekked up to this monastery that's embedded in the side of this mountain in Tame. Just a short walk up there, but it was absolutely beautiful. They opened up the monastery, especially for us, because all the monks have gone home now. There was a really lovely Polish girl who was teaching English there who kind of talked to us a little bit about the monastery. And it was a really beautiful, peaceful experience. I can hardly believe it, but tomorrow we're going to be walking back to Namche Bazaar. We're losing elevation with every day. All of us have been taking this Diamox, this pill that helps with the altitude sickness, but I stopped taking it yesterday. Lucas stopped taking it today. We're all kind of just acclimatized to high altitudes and now we're going down so the air feels really thick and nice. So yeah, Namche Bazaar tomorrow and I'll talk to you then. Okay, so we've completed both passes, Chola and Renjola. We're heading back down the mountain. We've just spent the night in Tame. It's all crazy, Adam. It's been a transformative experience. Have you enjoyed listening to it? I have, mate. I've certainly got a few questions. I mean, I'm not too sure about the fuel for the fire. How do, how uh, People just get on with it, I suppose. It's sort of a good way of recycling. It's quite resourceful, I suppose. It's, uh... It surprisingly doesn't smell at all, mate. It doesn't smell at all. I mean, when it erupted into the room. It's like cow pat, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's just grassy. It doesn't smell of anything. But when it erupted into the room, obviously, it smelled like smoke. Right. But um, it really, not a problem. Yeah, I like that. That's quite funny. Um, a bit bit difficult to kind of go, oh, yeah, you're using that, are you? All right, nice one. Maybe we should use that. Maybe we should stop chopping trees down. Well, I remember when, when we first used to see people collecting yak shit, it was quite a profound thing you're like what's happening but it really just became so normal people emptying bags of yak feces into the hearth became just a very commonplace thing wow how funny uh, it seems like a strange transition to go from that into eating food but what sort of <laughs> mm. you mentioned there eating breakfast before you go out on a long day what sort of stuff are you eating for breakfast typically <laughs> it's just essential to get as many calories as possible because you're i mean we're losing weight at this point as well right we're like Mm-hmm. getting all skinny so you're just eating fried eggs on chapati something like that just trying to get the calories in fair fair and uh there was one thing you mentioned that i was kind of taken aback by which was gokyo lake mm. or certainly the lake that's in the area of gokyo yeah you said it might be the bluest lake you've ever seen and you've lived in alberta where there are some obscenely blue lakes so i'm really interested to see what was it something that was almost reminiscent of an albertan lake or i've looked at pictures alan online i've looked at pictures and look i wasn't there i know i wasn't there (laughs) i would say it's more green okay interesting but i am colorblind look i don't know i've seen some blue lakes in my time moschioko in poland laguna negra and the pools near fitzroy in argentina i've seen some blue lakes in alberta a lot of blue lakes going around mate but i i think that 
this one felt like an absolute vista. It felt so deeply colourful. Wow. And do you know, is there much life around there? Are there sort of species that are indigenous to the area? Are there fish that live in the lake? <laughs> no, you're so high up at this point. You're almost in the dead zone where there's no organic material. There's occasionally sort of grasses and, and moss that's growing, but there's no trees or anything. Wow. At this point, we'd not seen a tree for days and days and days. Crazy stuff, man. You were completely used to just seeing the same sort of landscape. Does it change much as you're hiking or is it sort of very much the sort of the same? Yeah, it's perpetually changing. Like Chola Pass, we've mentioned it being this icy, icy glacier. And then Renjola Pass is, is a glacier also, but covered in rocks. It's like a very, very different terrain. And obviously when you first start this trek, it's all forests and trees and then as you go higher the forests decay back and and give way to a completely different mountainous terrain i think now would be a good time to take stock think about that terrain and go on a brief meditation break Oh, I always feel good after those breaks and I'm feeling good on this trek. I can't wait to share the final chapter, the downward sojourn on this crazy Himalayan experience. And then we'll talk a little bit about it and how it made me feel. Should we listen to the rest of those voice recordings? Yes, mate, let's do it. Let's get stuck in. Here we go. Day 16, and what a day it was. We did the long trek down to Namche Bazaar. I mean, it was a long walk, but I tell you, the air is definitely feeling thicker now. It's really nice to just be going down, down the mountain. We were joined by some dogs on the walk, so that was nice to have some canine companions and Namche is the first built-up area that we've been to in a while, so we were able to have some good food. We went shopping a little bit. Lucas needed to buy some souvenirs. I got a T-shirt for Emmy and Lucas. It was really nice. And then in the evening, to celebrate our accomplishments, we had our raclette with yak cheese melting and bread and potatoes. It was really, really good. And then we did something that we've been talking about doing for a long time, which is visit the Hungry Yak, which is the world's highest live music venue. There's adverts for it all on the way up to Namche. So we've been aware of it for a while. We went there tonight and we were the only ones sat there listening to some music, but it was fun nonetheless. So nice just to be somewhere a bit built up, have such good food with such good friends. I've had a really good day. And tomorrow... Unfortunately, it's going to be our last day with Lucas. We're going to sort of head down to back to Fak Ding, but he'll be heading all the way to Lukla. So that'll be the last we see of Lucas for a little bit. It's going to be an emotional day. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Day 17, very much the final hurrah of the Emmy Lucas Allen team. We got up fairly early because it's a long old walk all the way to Facting. Did that walk, arduous trekking, downhill mainly, so much better than obviously going uphill at altitude, but still quite technical over rocks 
rocks and meandering through paths and all that thing. We had a nice meal, in fact, Ding. We ate a lot of food, some noodles, and had went to a little bakery, had a little coffee. It was nice. It was nice, very nice. And then we decided... It was only sort of midday-ish. We'll push on a little bit further, join Lucas on his path to Lukla. So me and Emmy pushed on to the point where the path splits. You can go two ways, left to Lukla or right all the way to Thamdara. We stopped there. It's a town called Chaplong. And we had to say goodbye to Lucas. It was emotional, to say the least. I mean, every single night... He's been the last person I've seen and the first person in the morning when I've woken up. I've spent 24 hours every single day with that guy. I mean, he's an exceptional human being. He's funny, he's kind, he's smart and it's been a pleasure to have him with me on this trek. And me and Emmy will miss him dearly for the rest of it. Although, of course, we're going to catch up with him in Kathmandu when we get there. So me and Emmy said goodbye to Lucas and holed up in this little kind of shack in Chaplong. It was the darkest accommodation that we've had so far. <laughs> Barely a light in the place, all dark wood furnishing. We just basically had dinner there and went straight to bed. It was a creepy kind of a place. Um, so yeah, a little bit unusual. It's been a bit of a restless day, but we'll sleep here now and then... Uh, the plan is that we'll go all the way to Tamdara tomorrow. So I'll be looking forward to that and I'll tell you about it tomorrow. Day 18, the final day of walking for Emmy and I. We got up 7.30 and just trailblazed all the way to Paya. This was a difficult walk. There was rain last night and so... The previously dry routes were now slick with mud and mules and yaks carrying gas and sacks were churning up that mud into a sort of slurry. It was a really difficult walk. We were starving by the time we got to Paya. We both ordered a Dalbat. Goodness me. With Dalbat, maybe the listeners ought to know. They'll bring you more rice and vegetables and stuff as you finish. It's kind of the fuel of a nation and they just keep on bringing more and more. I ate far too much. I was served seconds and thirds, sometimes not entirely of my own volition. So we went from being incredibly tired and hungry to incredibly full. And then basically had to roll the whole way to Thamdara from Paya. And the last part of the, the journey is you know, blocked off by, they're basically building a road from, from Thamdada to the next town, Puya. So you have to go up this like section of mountain and back down beyond the roadworks. And a thick fog descended. We were tr- it was a real nightmare. The map wasn't working. We got there in the end and basically by the Jeep station, because we'll be taking a Jeep from Thamdada to Salary tomorrow. There was very limited accommodation, so we decided to push on, and thank God we did, because we kind of met a woman who basically took us on a little shortcut to her lodge further down the mountain, and there we've been able to have a nice hot shower, nice food, we've been able to book the Jeep for tomorrow, so it all gone perfectly. Allegedly, the Jeep will pick us up at 7am tomorrow morning, And that will take us all the way to salary. So looking forward to that. The trekking is over. 
Tomorrow is just going to be a Jeep day, and I'll use it to tell you a bit of my thoughts and feelings about the trip so far. Day 19, and without a hitch at 7am, the Jeep came to pick us up and take us from our guest house in Tambara all the way to Salary, where we've checked in to that very first guest house I stayed on the night that I met Emmy. And we're all checked in, we've had a nice meal, and tomorrow we've booked a Jeep to take us all the way back to Kathmandu. It's a dual Jeep service, just as it was on the way here. This has been kind of the first time in a long time that I've had kind of free charging, free Wi-Fi, time and space just to sit and think and not worry about hiking. And I've got to say, this whole trip has been one of the most transformative adventures that I've ever had. I've travelled for a long time, Tripologist, and I've seen a lot of cool stuff. And I've done a lot of mentally challenging things as well. Like we've talked with each other about that meditation retreat that I did. And we've talked about that hike up to Atacanango and lots of different things that I've done, which were quite challenging. But this, such a sustained period of time, walking day after day with the same people, obviously in the lull between conversations, there's only your thoughts and then you bring each other up and tell jokes together and settle down of an evening and play cards. It's been like a really thought-provoking experience. There's been moments where I just think, my body can't do this anymore. I can't get up this mountain. And there's been moments where I've thought, this is the most fun I've ever had with these people. I love these people so dearly after only two weeks. It's been amazing. It's been really good. I'm proud of myself and I'm really proud of Emmy and Lucas as well. We've met some amazing people along the way. That Spanish couple, they were such an important part of our journey early on. I just think it's been incredible and I would urge anyone who fancies doing a bit of a longer excursion, a longer trek, do it because I think you learn something about yourself. I've learned things about myself that I didn't know would be evoked through trekking. I'll talk a little bit more about them tomorrow. Tomorrow we're just going to take the Jeep to Kathmandu. It's going to be a nice, easy day. And I'm just going to rest for the rest of this one, and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Day 20. I'm going to keep this one short, because I want to get back to the studio with you, Adam, and hear what you have to say about all of this. But me and Em woke up this morning, took a Jeep all the way back to Kathmandu. The journey took about 12 hours and then we got to meet up with Lucas again who was waiting for us at the hostel. We had dinner together. It was such a fun experience. You know, the horror of the Jeep ride bumping around, not able to get any sleep was made up for by the fact that this was just a beautiful full circle ending to be able to be sat the three of us, Emmy, Lucas and I, having some noodles and momos in a Kathmandu restaurant, which is just amazing. And we're planning on meeting up with the Spanish couple tomorrow. They're also in Kathmandu, Luisa and Rosa. So hopefully we get a full reunion. I mentioned yesterday that I've learned a lot about myself on this trip. And I think the main takeaway for me has just been... Well, I suppose this whole recording, this set of recordings is kind of a love letter to Lucas and Emmy and the Spanish couple and everyone we met along the way. I just think that relationships and the people we meet are what define travel so much. And I've learned that I'm 
even more resilient than I thought, capable of more than I thought, but ultimately that friendship and love are and should be the guiding lights as I travel. Travel is so much less about place and more about people than even I first considered. So I'll sign off with that and go back into the Tropology studio with you, Adam. And that's it. That's the end of the two passes trek through the Himalayas. Arrived back in Kathmandu and... Goodness me, I tell you what, the last few days I've had massage, I've eaten as much food as I possibly can. It's been a wondrous, hedonistic few days, but the overarching theme of betterment has remained. It was really transformative going on that trek for such a long time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, again, I want to mention it. You can hear that you're remarkably positive throughout those recordings. And you mentioned at the end there about sort of introspection and thinking about things and and giving yourself the ability to not literally stand still but I guess you've completely removed yourself from the routine from society and in those moments we we are able to think more clearly we have some clarity I'm just interested in knowing what sort of um, what you took away from that and whether it's going to be a permanent change going forward. Yeah, well, I've had time to sort of think and take stock from the, from the moments I made those recordings. And I do think there's been a lasting change. I think that one one big thing I took away was being kinder to myself, mm. was like nurturing the voice within my head as opposed to bullying it down. I have something in me which is like, stop being a wimp, stop being like that, come on, push through it, go hard, you know, this sort of behavior. And I think that one thing I learned on that trek was to just be like, okay, right, your, your feet hurt. Okay, like, what what can we do about that, mate? Like, <laughs> do you want to stop for a while? Do you want to turn back? Okay, no, you definitely don't want to turn back. So let's let's go forward together and try and be a little bit of an older brother to the to the negative voice inside my head as opposed to a drill sergeant, you know? Yeah, that's lovely. Well, I hope that extends further than just the context of you hiking through mountains. I think it will. Yeah, absolutely. I basically want to start treating myself the way that I would like to imagine I treat most other people. Mm. And speaking of other people, I know I made a big point of this in the voice recordings, but I am so proud of Emmy and Lucas. And I just think what an amazing couple of young travelers to be doing what they are doing in the way that they're doing it and it was just so great to have that family whilst on those treks it was one of the hardest things i've ever done in some sense you know it was really difficult mm -hmm. it, it's I, I feel like it's changed me in quite a permanent way do you know if me and lucas took the same sort of things out of the experiences you did did you talk quite openly about the sort of changes you were going through yeah definitely and, and to that point on the next episode of Tropology, I'm going to interview Emmy and Lucas, and I want you to listen to that interview, and we'll talk about it because I think it'd be really cool to also hear their perspective. So amazing! Everyone listening to this now, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and tune in next week because we'll hear from that Belgian man and that French girl as we discuss kind of how we all feel about the trek together. Completely. And if you're listening to this and you've had a similar experience, maybe you've travelled Nepal, you've even done the same hike as Alan's done. Send us an email at Tropology Podcast 
Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and follow us on Instagram at Tropology Podcast to see pictures and videos from this trek. Mate, it's been a pleasure to have you. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on this adventure. I really liked taking time in the evenings to record those voice notes, knowing that you would get to listen to them. It was really a positive thing, even though we couldn't be in touch during the trek, because, you know, obviously signal and Wi-Fi in the Himalayas. It was so nice to have you with me in spirit recording those voice notes for you and the Tropology audience. It was really a blessing. Yeah, and yeah, I've listened to those a few times now, and uh, I just think that it's... Uh, yeah in the one on the one hand i'm jealous and i'm envious and it's a shame i wasn't there but i love the fact that you went away and did this for you and uh, at a time when you needed it and you completed it as well i'm sure there were some darker times when you you know just completely beside yourself with physically how challenging it was but having that sort of family there and being able to just have a lot of faith in your ability i think both mentally and physically is really important so what a great thing you've done Thank you so much, mate. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to you getting to know my friends, Emmy and Lucas, on the next episode of Tropology. It'll happen next week. We'll see you there. You ready to come? I can't wait. I'll see you there. Bye. Bye. Bye.